Hello, WNBA hoodies. Uh, welcome to Sports, the podcast that, you know, usually starts, ends with a question mark and then starts with a question. But today, we're doing whatever I want. That's kind of the theme that we've come up with so far. It's, uh, we can do whatever we want. So what the podcast is today is a lot of questions, but they're not questions I'm answering, thank God. They're questions that Michael Jr. is going to answer. Hi, Michael Jr. Hi, Katie. Or as the squad cast that we're up in right now labels you as modest leader. And I mean, pretty accurate. Big fan of it. I don't know if I would qualify as agreeable scientist, which I mine think is. So. But... I think you are. Science. Look, science used to just be thinking. They used to call thinking science. And you do a lot of it. And you're very agreeable. So I would say you're an agreeable scientist. We've really, you know what? Squadcast did a great job. Snaps for Squadcast on that. It might know us better than we know ourselves. Which, you know, actually is why I have you here. Um, I was kind of, so we do two podcasts a week. And by we, I'm still meaning in my head, me and Ashley. But as you know, Ashley has left. Um, and so we were like, we, again, I was like, what am I going to do with two podcasts a week? And I bounced around a lot of ideas. And then this week, what kind of made the decision for me was I found myself really wanting to talk to you about you. And then I was like, I have two podcasts. My second one can be talking to people I want to talk to. And this week, it's you. And I don't even really know why, but I'm hoping we can figure it out throughout the conversation. Uh, so, like, we can talk about whatever you want to. I'd like to at some point talk about what it's like to have a zaddy because I think that's fascinating. Um, a very public zaddy. But I also just want to know so much about you because everything I see from people on the internet in regards to you, minus the, you know, the ones we all get, is is like the Golics seem like a cool family. And you do. And and something I've been fascinated with lately is if people are deciding who they want to be and being that on TV and it's sort of an act, both good and bad, or if it's like, no, that's the authentic part of me coming through. And I know that a lot of people have a line that they don't like to cross, and I'm not asking you to cross any lines. But I just want to know, like, what's your family like? Like, what was that house like growing up? Yeah, I, I think, first off, by the way, just that, that like, being thought of is, like, the nicest thing in the world. So the fact that you even went along with that is, like, the nicest compliment I'll probably get today. So, Oh, for- that's, I mean, it's true. I think you're a fascinating and a really kind human and a very good friend. We will get to all of this. <laughs> Well, I, I guess as far as growing up in our house, I, I, I'd say the one of the first things my dad ever said to me when I was getting into this line of work, and it kind of speaks to all of it, was be yourself. Like it is the the joke dad advice. Like Adam Amin called my dad America's dad yesterday, and it's like very much the America's dad advice. But then his tagline in the back was, you're not smart enough to be anyone else. And that's also a fair point, but it was kind of this idea that like, when my dad first started doing this job and really like my conscious memory of it is when we moved to Connecticut, I remember being a little kid, my dad worked at a local radio station, uh, an ESPN affiliate in Scottsdale where we were growing up like kindergarten through third grade. And I remember crying when I found out we were moving to Connecticut because all I knew is it was cold and it wasn't where my friends were. And then we got to Connecticut and that's when, you know, Mike and Mike kind of started and the whole profile of the show started. And my dad made the decision very early on, like, this is going to be a show about our families. We're going to talk about the stuff that happens. 
I, he always wanted to be himself and was himself, you know, all at all times on air. And that required him talking about us because our family was a big part of his life and he wasn't going to miss those things or hide those things for anyone else in this process. And so that was kind of the only way he knew how to do things was involving all of us talking about all of us. And that just kind of rubbed off. You kind of, we kind of got used to growing up in the fishbowl, meaning, you know, you'd, walk around the street and people that were fans of his show knew stuff about what was going on in my life and my sister's life and all this thing. And at first it's a little jarring, but you kind of normalize after a while. So it it, it was one of those things where very early on, we knew it was always going to be kind of a transparent deal. Do you feel like that ever, you know, obviously it brought positives into your life. Do you feel like there were ever negatives that you were like, Hey, I don't, want this part of me to be public like you didn't ever have an option or was it more just natural I think it was natural just because I always was very like my dad and like I always grew up wanting to be my dad so like everything he did I wanted to do clearly my life path has kind of borne that out like my my heroes were my mom and dad so I just wanted to do the stuff they did and it was both really natural to them I'd say if there was one drawback is it it always has made me very guarded with who I choose to trust because when you grow up and, you know, Mike and Mike for a while was one of the biggest brands this company had. And so I was always very careful about who was really here for me and who was really here just to be close to all the cool sports stuff and and, and seeing him places and things like that. And I I probably hold on to that even now a little more than I should, if I'm being honest, but I, I think that's the one kind of thing because again it's been overwhelming positive but that's the one thing on the other side is it just makes you very careful yeah it's cool though to hear you say that because that I'm not saying that isn't true obviously you know yourself but it doesn't come across you don't come across as somebody who's like I don't trust you you don't your walls aren't as visible but that just is probably because you've been used to making them in front of people and needing them to not really see yeah, I, I think that's fair, and and I think it's it's like anything else. Like I, I say that, and I, I'm I'm not someone that's going to try and keep a ton of people out, right? But at the same time, we all have like the inner circle of people that we really trust. That like I can be myself on air, but it's also I. I, I I don't know if I relax the same as I do when I'm around like my close friends from college who I've you know been through you know so much stuff with and just live more life with or the people that, you know, I've gotten close with here at work. I, I feel like everyone kind of has a line at a certain point. And so it, it, I'm probably not acquitting myself well on this, but I think trust is, is a deeper thing than just you value stuff it. we give. Yeah, very yeah, you much. You really so. value it. It doesn't mean that you have to be, you're not greedy with it, but you value it and you know what it means to give it to somebody. What, um, to hear you say your dad was your hero is a adorable B. <laughs> I feel like I probably knew that subconsciously. But see, I'm super interested in how, 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 like, what was it that your dad did growing up that made you like, that's the guy I want to be? I, I, I guess in a very basic way, like I just saw the way he treated people and that always, you know, the way he treated people, the way he acted, it just seemed right. Right. Like I was super fortunate. Him and my mom were like the perfect poster of what I could ever hope to find in a spouse. Like they were always really loving. There wasn't fighting in our house. Like I I was so fortunate in that regard. And so I, I think just seeing how happy they were, I was like, all right, well, 
what did it take to make that? Like, all right, you went and played football at Notre Dame and you met my mom there. Like, all right, that's that's step one. That's place I want to go in all of this. But I think it was just kind of seeing that example of like, all right, like we always felt really loved and cared for. And as I kind of got to an age where you recognize that not everyone is that fortunate, not everyone gets those things. It's like, all right, well, I've been given this. So how do I preserve it? Like, what do I do to put myself in position to be like these people who in my mind had it figured out in so many of these ways? And you get older and you learn that everyone doesn't have everything figured out, but they, I I guess it was just seeing the way they were around each other. Yeah. It sounds like they, you know, followed their heart. And so you followed their heart too, and then realized that it was your heart. And now one of the things about you that I like the most is that it, a lot of people in that position wouldn't have necessarily the awareness to know that they have a thing that not everybody has, which is that kind of opportunity and and that kind of family. And, And they would just think that they earned it somehow when it's like, no, you were born into something that was awesome for you and not everybody was. And, and you somehow have been able to look around you and know that and you make sure to look behind you and be like, how can I make sure more people have this sort of a map and this sort of comfort and this sort of a path that they can follow? How yeah. do you find that? Well, I, I think a lot of it is because I, I because I wanted to play football and because I wanted to follow in the things that my dad did, the natural next thing that came was all of the nepotism barbs. Like I've been getting that since I was getting recruited yeah. in high school. Like that's not yeah. unique to the ESPN situation. And so very early on, you know, it, it, some of it stings because again, you question like, all right, am I worth the places that I'm going or is this helping? And so I had to start to try and really hone in on the things that I was sure about and secure enough in myself. And one of those was just being honest about the situation. It's all right. Like I know these things are being said about me. I can either acknowledge, Hey, this absolutely played a role in opportunities I've gotten and I'm going to get, like, I'll never be able to avoid or run away from that. And why would I want to? Because again, these were all places I wanted to go. I wasn't going to not do the things that I loved or do the things that I wanted to do. And so the only way that I could honor that leg up is by saying, all right, I'm going to meet these opportunities with an unbelievable amount of hard work, an unbelievable amount of gratitude. And if I've got the opportunity, like if you start, you know, if you start in a better position, a lot of people say, you know, you started life on third base, then it's like, all right, like, let's try and bring more people. Like, why should other people not have these opportunities? And why should I not be an asset if I've got, you know, if I've got the luxury, if I am taken care of, if we are financially okay, if I do have a loving household, it's like, all right, like, I've got these other like needs taken care of, like that hierarchy of needs idea. I'm one of the fortunate ones who should be looking and saying, all right, how can I be an asset to other people or else? How am I really honoring the things that I've been given by the people that cared about me? I mean, you've just got really good perspective on it. And that's I think that's really interesting for people to hear because acknowledging it seems like the scary thing. Being like, yeah, I my dad did this first seems like once you say that out loud, it's like, OK, and and so what? Now it's out there. We know it, but I'm still going to do it the way that my heart tells me to do it. It sounds like your dad giving you the advice of be yourself. I think for a lot of people that sounds, they don't hear that the right way. I think I just said the other day on this podcast, but I don't remember uh, that be yourself is advice we give to kids when they're too young to understand what we mean. Like the first few years of your life, it's like, learn yourself. You can't be yourself. You just met you. So like learn who you are and then 
commit yourself to being that person, which doesn't mean like knowing what you're going to do, but it means knowing sometimes what you're not going to do or knowing what's right for you and represents the you you want to be and what doesn't. I think it's a great point. I, I'm I'm curious for your answer to this because I know for me, like, again, I heard that advice for a long time. It was like the running joke in our house because my dad, whenever we were going into a new situation, it was always be yourself. And like we would, you know, joke and ha ha and all that. But then after a while, it does. It kind of snaps in. And for me, like, I don't know if I felt comfortable as me until I was like 28. Like it was really like, obviously there's, you know, the, the football version of me and the, the, the life that, you know, I lived in college and doing all that, but then like everyone else, you make a transition to something new and it took me a long time to feel like comfortable. Like I belonged anywhere. Like, you know, I was, I was doing the right thing. So I don't know, you know, how that is, how that was for you or how that is for everybody, but it, it took me a lot longer to realize kind of what those things were. It's funny because a few months ago, I would have said like, yeah, 28, but I've probably called it 30. Like I've marked 30 as when I'm like, oh, I figured out who I was. Um, but then now you asking me that now, I would say like, oh, two weeks ago. <laughs> like I think that within the last few months, just with being physically isolated from ESPN and everyone, the world, except through the internet, um, it's kind of just made me think about my place in it. And at first that sounded in my head, like you don't belong here. Why are you here? Everything's telling you that this is not for you except you. And then I was like, well, then me needs to speak up because if I'm supposed to be here and that's what me is saying, then it does not matter what everybody's telling me. I need to focus on me and what me is telling me and make it work. Instead of being like, why isn't it working? It's like, make it work. Like, maybe I thought all this time I was being authentically me. And then I realized that I wasn't. Like, I wasn't actually dropping the wall of like, I'm doing this job. Like, drop the wall and just do it then. Because if the you that you know now, that I know very well now, is saying like, this is what you're supposed to be doing, then just do it. Like, the only thing that they could be seeing that they don't like is a wall that you're putting up. I think that's a hard thing to realize without as much time as we've all had yes. kind of kind of held up like this, right? Like if quarantine would have lasted a month, I don't know if we get any of these same realizations. And I also think there are people who are sitting at home feeling like they've wasted the last few months and they might not realize like you haven't. The stuff that's been bugging you, whatever it is that's stuck in your craw, like that focus on that because there's something there. Because for me, it was all these negative feelings that once I started like inspecting them, I realized that everything negative is also positive. That sounds way too philosophical, but I think like my boyfriend told me this thing that has like stuck in my brain since and changed my perspective on everything, which is that like win and loss and like good and bad are not two separate things. They're two sides of a ball and the ball is rolling down the hill. So it's like you can only see one side at a time, but you're about to, the bad's going to cause a good, which is going to cause a bad, which is going to cause a good. And they all vary in scale, but like you can look at every bad I was like, what good is this setting me up for? And that sounds like, oh, that doesn't work that way with bills, lady. And it's like, I know there are very real, like tangible problems that, again, not to get philosophical, but like money has introduced to the world that yeah. aren't really what life is about. 
but like you can't just tell the bill collector that well this isn't what life's about this is my heart isn't telling me to pay this bill like that obviously is a very real world concern but there are hardships that can bring good it doesn't you never know when the game's going to end but there is good and bad and it's a constant wave between the two and i think learning that made me be like oh, hey, feeling extraordinarily bad right now means I can use this as an opportunity to get extraordinarily better because of the privilege of time and the privilege of having money that I'm like not making a billion, but I have it and I'm fine. So like my thing is like, how do I make this more accessible to people who don't have the time? You know, like how, how can I make my career something that lets people know that they that they're okay and that life is about more than the garbage stuff that happens to us all the time. It's a, it's unbelievably powerful. The the ball thing is a, an unbelievable like way to kind of visualize it because I had a really close friend of mine say something very similar, which is every situation that she found herself in, she would go, all right, like if I can stop long enough, what am I supposed to learn from this? Because there's something if I'm willing. And that willingness, I think, is the thing that kind of fluctuates most with your comfort in all these other areas. Like, do I have enough money to be able to? Do I have enough, you know, uh, safety, security, whatever that thing is, however it manifests, that's kind of what fluctuates that line the most. But I, I don't think it, like you said, changes the the situation that's on the ball, which is there's always something that you can pull from that. And you know, that, that's that's what I tend to be kind of most in awe when people go through things and, and go through, you know, the different things in their life is there are so many people that have had to pull themselves out from hell. And it's that mindset of where they've been so willing to explore that even when it's really uncomfortable, which like, again, I have to acknowledge I've never been put in a situation that that's that uncomfortable. And so I can only hope that I would respond that way. But at the very least, like you can still see the tools that are there for when that comes up. Yeah, I think it I think it pinpoints what bothers me about when people just say like oh man, I'm thinking of a specific tweet. So this is like very micro on like a very macro topic, but a guy tweeted the other day like I don't know, I'd rather them give me the smaller stimulus check because then it inspires me to work harder, but I guess I'm just built different. And I'm like that stop thinking you're so special and unique that you have the willingness to try when it's probably because you have support and like you said safety in another area it's like you have a worry that's been taken off of your plate and that's cool but don't give yourself so much credit that it's like I wake up in the morning and I put my boots on and get to work. And it's like a lot of people do, but they can't get to the work they want to because they have to go work at a minimum wage job that's barely going to pay their bills because they have kids to support. So stop giving yourself credit for like, I work hard. So do they. But you get to work on the hard thing that you want to work on. And they're distracted by having to work on making money and getting food. And that's always the crazy thing is like people feel like acknowledging that, like that they've been helped. And like this, this is the conversation that comes up so much when we talk about things relative to racial discussions. It's like admitting that I'm in a more comfortable place because of something that was outside of control in so many people's minds seems to lessen their own accomplishments. Like that's not what this is. Like the things that you accomplish. Your accomplishments can- don't mean anything to anyone except you. 
Exactly. Oh, exactly. And like that level of insecurity is what drives all of that, right? right. It, it is. It's that exact thing of like, I need to believe so badly that I'm special. Where like, I don't know, I can't unsee. I watched like so many of the behind the scenes things on Rick and Morty and like the directors talking about that show. And it's like, if you zoom out enough, none of this matters. Yes. Like, none of this matters. And so then you zoom back in really close and it's like, all right, if I acknowledge all of that as the base, then I can just acknowledge, all right, just by the fact of I am here. Like it already matters enough. Like you're good. You don't have to, you don't have to flex and do all that other. Shit. Right. But like, it's people are like, Oh, if you acknowledge your white privilege, people say that you have white guilt and it's like, it's not guilt. It's motivation. Noticing how much of an opportunity I got because of multiple privileges in my life. I'm so aware of those because it makes me valuable. It gives me a value if I acknowledge that my value is not in the path I, I've managed to find my way up. That's not my value. My value is acknowledging all of the stuff that helped me get there and then try to figure out how to give that to the people that don't have it. That's where it's stressful when you, when you realize what you've been given and then you're like, it's not that easy to give it to everybody else. It's like for multiple reasons, it's difficult to figure out once you know what you got to do, how you're supposed to do it. But that's nobody's problem but my own. I invited this difficulty into my life because I knew it would make me a better person. So like, that's where I'm at on my journey. And I know that there's people who are like right behind me. And there's people who are like way behind me. There's people who are right ahead of me. There's people who are way ahead of me and figuring all this out. But part of this whole thing has been, I think I've had anxiety about where I am on the timeline. Like I should be further by now. And it's like where you are is exactly where you're supposed to be. Look around you and help the people you can directly help. Because every if everyone did that, then every then we it would even out. If you help the people around you, physically and on this weird timeline I've built in in the ether. Well, I, I forget who said. I, I don't know if I picked this up in a book or someone said it, but someone talked about spheres of influence one time, and everyone's is a different size at this point. Like if you're Bill Gates, yours has a chance to be a lot bigger because your scope is a lot bigger. But for the rest of us, like, all right, you can kind of acknowledge what is in my immediacy that I can make better by me being around, by me doing the things I'm able to do. And like that, that term specifically always stuck with me to that point. Cause like, it can all feel really big if you let it, or we can kind of just focus back in on, all right, what do I have the pack? Cause like, there's a bunch of stuff I can't fix, but if I focus on the little things that I can, then at least a couple of things get better or maybe a couple of people feel better. And that's, you know, what else are we here to do? Yeah, I feel like one of the big lessons from, you know, quarantine, coronavirus, whatever you want to call it, I don't want to make it sound like the virus taught me this lesson. The virus is obviously an evil, but the the pulling back, the way we all kind of pulled back, I feel like I've learned that that's something that is good for us to do at varying degrees of pulling back every now and then. Like you, you need, this thing has taught me that like you, it can't always be go. You have to have times mm -hmm. of stop. And like, a, once I realized that, I realized all the ways in which people had already taught me this lesson and I never learned it. Like, I have a friend, Ian Carmel. I bet you know him. Yep. Very funny guy with a great podcast called All Fantasy Everything that everybody should go like and subscribe. Uh, he told me before, because right before the pandemic hit, I was already at this like, am I doing what I'm supposed to be doing point, which is crazy to think of now. But he told me like periods of input are as important as output. If you're a person who 
I was just going to say puts out for a living, but you know what I mean? If you're a person who says things or makes things or whatever for a living and you are constantly focused on what you're going to make next, you're missing out the part where you feed yourself. You can't if you don't eat. So it's like you have to sit and eat. And I've been eating my brain, as you can tell, for like, I would say nonstop, like four months. But it's, you know, been since I was born. I've just always I live in here. So that's why I would think a quarantine like this, my first thought was, I isolate myself all the time. Yep. You tell me I got to lock myself in my house with video games? Thank you. That sounds amazing. And it was. And then it wasn't. And then I was like, why don't I love this? And it's because like I wasn't actively paying attention to what this part of my life was supposed to be for, what I was supposed to be doing. And I was making myself feel guilty for like playing too many hours of video games. Instead of sitting back and going, why are you playing so many hours of video games? What is it about video games that's comforting to you? And that's when I learned that it was I could I could fail quickly and then I could correct myself and get better. And I could see progress literally on like a graph in front of me. You've played this much of the game. You used to be ranked this. You're ranked this now. And my heart and my brain were like, you did something. You moved forward. You learned a task. You're getting better at a task. With creative work, it's hard sometimes because you're like, how do I know if I'm getting better? And I feel like that's something that you must feel too. Oh, that was... And that still remains the hardest part about going from, and I think part of that is also like school does a lot of that for us. But for me, sports did it in the same way where it's, I know exactly what I need to do to get better. I know the steps I need to take. We're going to watch the film and there is a right way and a wrong way. And you are judged and you are graded and how you do is measured against another human, which is even more of like a dopamine hit of like, all right, I have gone out and I have caught, like it's all of these things. And then I remember I I said to someone when I first started this job, I was like, I don't know how to be good at it yet. Like, I don't know what I need to do to be good at this yet. Absolutely. And I I think that's still something that like, I'm always kind of fine tuning the process that now I've stopped chasing good necessary. And it's like, what makes me feel comfortable enough to when I get to the place where I'm supposed to turn on the mic and talk, I can just be me again. Like, how can I do the work that I used to do behind the scenes and then just go be me? But what you said about like stopping and pumping the brakes and learning that lesson, like I was taught all my life, hey, to to build, you've got to work, fuel and rest. Like, yeah. Those are all the tenets of building my body the way I had to do to play sports. And yet I got into this and I think a lot of it goes back to like overcompensating for, all right, I know I'm going to get the nepotism stuff. I know what got me the opportunity here. So I've got to come in and say yes to everything. I've got to show everybody like I'm not going to talk when I got here. I don't expect people to like me. I, I always said I would have hated me coming in. If I was someone that worked at this company and grinded through local and did all the things that so many of our colleagues have had to do, I was like, I would hate me if I was them. I'm not going to begrudge anyone that. And so all I can do is say, all right, I'm going to come in. I'm going to work absolutely as hard as I can. I'm going to take any job. No, Nothing is too big. Nothing is too small. I'm never too proud in this. And just try and do it that way. And so continuing to try and overcompensate and always being a guy that was an undrafted free agent that got cut a bunch in football, like it is that thing where it's like, if I'm not doing something, you start to feel uncomfortable because you feel like you should be. And like, honestly, one of the people I credit with me, like, especially in the last couple of months, just realizing that is Mina. Because I was in my head, I'm like, I hope he says Mina. 
a big well, and just because like I watch and when I look at like what it's supposed to look like, and someone who I know works their ass off and is so talented and does all these things, like it's Mina. And then like the other day, I, I text her about like you know I'd finally watched Ted Lasso, and she texts me back and she goes, "How are you just now watching this?" And I'm like, "All right, so if Mina, who is the hardest working, like most accomplished person I know." one of them can go out and do all of this and make time to feed the other parts of her life that she likes. Surely I can like a humble pig can try and make that happen in my own way. Right. Like, which is funny because it feels like so many times I've looked at Mina and I've been like, it's easy to say like, what a superhuman. She is superhuman. She's not built like me. I'll never retain football knowledge the way she does. And then, what I've realized now is like, it's easy to look at that and feel bad. But then I realized that it's like the, she follows what drives her. Don't try to be Mina, figure out what the thing that in Mina's brain makes her go. Give me those numbers. Give me this analysis. Like talk to me about offensive lines. My brain doesn't have that for those things, but it has that for other things. So it's like, take that lesson. Mina. Mina can find time to watch all the stuff she does because she's made the other parts of her brain very efficient on the other stuff she does. So she works quick and then she knows to give herself a break, which is the brilliance of Mina. The thing that I thought was so amazing about her wasn't that she knew stuff I didn't know. It was that she knew stuff I also had access to in my brain and she was applying her knowledge to what she loves. And I was being like, Hmm. The last few months, Mike, watching sports, I had a very hard time admitting this to myself. I didn't want to watch them. And I was like, what is up? And the first thing my brain thought was like, everyone's right. You're a fraud. You don't even like sports. And then I was like, that sounds untrue to me still. It still sounds untrue. I know that I love sports. So what's going on? And I realized it was because I was for some reason confused and thought that if I watched sports, that the, the path for me now, because of the the failing I was doing, which isn't, I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad for me. I wasn't getting to where I wanted to be and things kept being taken away. And I'm like, I, I can keep thinking I'm not doing anything wrong or I can figure out what I'm doing wrong because stuff keeps leaving and I don't know why. So let's figure it out. And I just, I realized that I didn't, I was watching sports and feeling like I needed to say the things that Mina was going to say about them. I had to figure out how to be Mina. And then it was like, no, you don't. You love watching sports for what you love them for. And that's what makes you worth talking. Like, that's why anybody needs you. They don't need another Mina. They need somebody who's gonna, who's good with Mina, who compliments Mina, who helps Mina and who Mina helps. That's the whole point of the game. And now I'm like, God, I can't wait, wait to watch a game. Like I unlocked it finally and I felt so much better because I was like, oh my God, what's happening? Why do I feel this way? It is. Well, and I think that's one of the tough things that comes like we have a lot of really talented friends, right? Like we have a lot of people that we work with that like are incredibly good at what they do. And that pressure to say, all right, I need to be that because I see that being rewarded when it's just it's just what you said and it's the same kind of thing that i i settled in on a while ago which is all right like i know the things that are unique to me how do i just put those out there and then either like at some point and it goes back to the be yourself thing is at some point 
everyone can get this information. So much of it is out there now. Like they're gonna, they're either gonna stick around because they like hanging out with you or not. And so all I can do at this point, and just what you described, all I can do is say, all right, I'm gonna lean into the stuff that is unique to me that I can do really well that I can bring to the table. And if people don't like that, then they're gonna fire me, and I'll figure it out. Like I'll figure it out. You know, I, I, I've you know, I've kind of gotten to that point where it's like, all right, like. Again, I'm not smart enough to go out here and try and be somebody else, and that's not rewarding in any way. So it's I'll do the best impression of me that I can do, and if that's not enough, they can fire me, and I'll figure out what the hell I'm supposed to do. Which, again, is the comfort. Like, I want to make sure everyone knows we know that. Like, we know that it's not like, oh, I'm just going to go to my job and be myself, and then I'll figure it out. It's like that is a huge privilege that I have learned to be grateful for. Because all this time when people are like, be grateful for what you have, I was like, yeah, I hear you. But I don't think I did. I don't think I heard that, like, it took – My boyfriend, I hate to keep referencing him, but he's the only person I've seen in a year and he is the best. Uh, When I finally broke down and cried, I was worried that he was going to be like, oh, shoot. But he ran into my room and was like, yes, finally, let's talk about it now. And he at one point he said, you need to start realizing how lucky you are that you got to be born as Katie Nolan. And I was like, oh, it's a good thing. It's not guilt. It's like, this is really cool. So enjoy it because it's not going to be cool forever. And like, since then, I think that's why my brain was like, talk to Mike, because I've always known you've like, we were, I would say we were fast friends. Very you, much might, so. you might think that it was like, Oh, we just, you know, pretend to like each other. I have, I knew when I met you, I was like, I like this guy. And I, and I knew that now that I'm starting to understand myself better, it's like, let me go make sure the people that I ride with, the people that I'm like down for know that they know that like I see them and I really like them and I want nothing but the best for them. And, you know, then your hot dad was on TV and um, shoot, we're on my podcast. Objectify <laughs> athletes. Then your dad was on TV and your dad seems to while I've spent mine working out on my brain, it feels like your your dad might have spent it working out on something else. And I was wondering how that's going for you. Let me tell you what, having most of your colleagues and friends openly thirst for your father on social media. That's disrespectful. It's on a different level. We respect him very. We just have so much respect for him. So much respect for what he has been working on during this time. And the funny thing is, is I give all the credit for that to my mom who feeds my dad, who brings him and makes sure he's going to these workouts and stuff and like is the general caretaker there. Yeah, I love it. But no, he's, and he's worked really hard. Like my, you know, and and he's, you know, talked about this, so I'm not disclosing it. My dad was type two diabetic. Like there's a history of that on his side. And so when he got really heavy after football, like he had to kind of make a choice and do that for his health. And he's gone the full other way. Like it's, it's, I mean, he does, he looks incredible. I told him the other day, I can't believe he had never grown a beard until this point. Like what a disservice he had been doing to his entire aura this entire time. Crazy. It's crazy. He was made for a beard. He's supposed to have a beard. There's people who aren't, and this isn't political, but I will say Ted Cruz, when he grows a beard, you're like, what's up? That doesn't look right here. But there's people who are made to have a beard. Nick Offerman should always have a beard. And your dad, once I think we saw him with a beard, it was like, what's up? I see pictures of him now in, his, in what I call his old life, and I'm like, I, I don't recognize that man yeah. anymore. Like, it's it's remarkable. But no, he is he's had a quarantine glow up like few have been able to pull off in all of this one. It's been incredible. It's been incredible to watch, and it's been motivating because it's like, 
all right, like I, that's probably a good reminder that like I need to get back and start moving again. Or if you I'm were not. if you were me, I'd interpret it as like, okay, cool, I can be, I can do exactly whatever I want for the next few years. But then when I'm a little older, I'll get in shape. I would just keep putting it off because that's what I do. The tough, the tough part is the one part I already waved by to is also one of the most critical. Like I am a bald thirty-one year old man. Mm. My dad will be dead for a decade, and that hair will not have moved. That hairline mm. will not have scratched an inch. It is remarkable so that's the one part that i've kind of overcome my hair all migrated south to my chin a long time ago to kind of compensate for that but dad got himself but that was very smart because i said this to izzy gutierrez yesterday when we were doing hq because dan uh not dan oh my god of course not dan but bomani pointed out that uh that izzy went gray young and i was like that's brilliant that's the move go if you're gonna go gray for your own sake, go gray first, go bald first, because then you've always been the bald guy. No one's like, hey, where'd, where'd that hair go? And you're like, no, I've never had it. So you're not looking like Izzy is like, I've always been gray. So I don't look like I'm getting older. I looked older then. But now that I'm older and everyone's getting older, I feel youthful. That's brilliant. It was, I'm sure he did it on purpose. The rest of Izzy also helps that too. Yeah, like, I mean, man, he is committed. Those train, those train track pictures, man, they live rent free in my brain. Yeah, I have learned again in quarantine that I, I have no respect for my body. The entirety of me exists in my brain. It's why I don't work out. It's why I eat whatever I want to. I have somehow lucked out and it hasn't affected me too much, but I would bet if internally I got checked out, it's affected me a bunch. I don't take care of this. I don't value my physical existence in the world. I care about my brain. Like I would crush Izzy in the brain gym, but I would get my ass kicked if we got into a physical fight. I have no muscle. Nothing on me is muscle except what needs to be there in order to whatever muscle does. Feed your blood. I have no idea the point it's, of a muscle. It's doing something. It's it's there. It, it's so interesting though because I think a lot of that is just tied to like, again, like what we, you know, how we've learned to be ourselves kind of like yeah. you said before because I realized this last year. So I got, I, I got super lucky last year and I got to go Chris Long, you know, a you know, longtime NFL player has a foundation that builds wells over in Africa. And every year they go and they do this climb on Mount Kilimanjaro to raise money and awareness for all of this. And I got to go before quarantine shut down. And so I had spent like the whole six, eight months before that, once I found out getting back into like physically good shape. Like I had to be diligent about it because I was going to go try and walk up this big ass mountain. And I kind of found along the way, it's like, Oh, wait a minute. Like the old sports thing, like I am better in every part of my life when I've got a physical goal I'm chasing. Like when I've got a Mm. reason to be regimented, when I've got a reason to get back on a schedule that has a like a bigger like goal in mind and all that, and it's based physically, it helps me balance out. I read more, I watch more TV and give myself more free time. Like I'm more cognizant of all these other things that I want in my life when I set a physical goal. And it was, it was really weird. I hadn't thought about it until like right as I was getting ready to go. And I kind of started to notice all these other things that had popped up. And I was like, that seems like leftover, like sports stuff. Like that seems like, all right, like, you know how to organize your life when you're doing something with your body. Yeah. And for me, the thing I realized was I can motivate myself with feelings. It's like emotion based. Like I, if there's a feeling that I want to have, I'll chase it, but I never, it's never been like, if I'm 
running, if I'm in shape, it's like I'll chase the I'm searching for a feeling. And so I learned that this sounds wild, but I said it on Twitter and so many people were like, that is so helpful to me. So I'm going to say it here in case it is. But I still don't know if this is a good idea. I've started making my to do lists feelings or like scheduling my day around feelings of like, okay, for this hour, you're going to feel lazy because whatever you just are for the next hour. You want to feel productive. Then this two hour period, you're going to feel collaborative. And it's like finding these feelings that I could, I could look at this list and be like collaborative. That's not a bad thing. Instead of being like refinance your mortgage. That doesn't sound like something I want to do at all. So it's like, if I could put on there, like organized feel, you know, like, Un, unencumbered is a feeling I, that I chase because I always have these things that I don't do that like sit on my shoulders and I look at them and I'm like, but I don't want to do any of them. And I've realized now that it's like, but you do want to feel them off of your yeah. shoulders. You'd like them to be done. You don't want to do them, but you want them to be done. So let done be the thing I'm chasing instead of staring at the doing and being like, I don't know where to start. I don't know who to call. It's like, but the second you start and you call, you might call the wrong person or start the wrong way, but you'll learn that. And then you get closer to being done. And like that has figuring out that that's the way my brain works has like unlocked my life now do you like do you write that down is this like a journal thing is it do you write if it I'm down really productive that day yes i will write it down but it's mostly like i should write it down my add makes me instead do most of it in my head again it's this like imbalance of the physical world and what goes on up here which is why i feel overwhelmed all the time but it's like i just I've sort of skipped the step of writing it down at this point. I did it for a little and then I was like, I get it now. The point of the schedule was for me to internalize the schedule. It wasn't for me to always have to write it. It was just like, hey, remember that you're chasing the done, not the doing. You're like, okay, cool. And also a thing that helped me is ha is being honest with people in my life has allowed them to help me with the things I struggle with. I've always felt like I have to be like, if, if my mom would say, did you clean your room? I would be like, yep, even though I hadn't. But if I had, like, I, I know now that I would say like, no, and I really don't want to do it. And I'm feeling really creative and I'm writing something down right now. And to stop doing this and go clean my room to me right now feels detrimental. That my mom could go shut up and clean your room, which there's a lesson to learn there. Or she might be like, all right, 30 more minutes of what you're doing. Start to wrap it up clean your room and then you can go back to doing that thing for the rest of the night. And I'd be like, awesome. Now with this, all these burdens I have, I started just like saying them out loud to the person I spend all my time with. And instead of him judging me, which was the fear in the first place, he's like, you know, I know an easy way to do that. And I'm like, whoa, what? I told you the thing I thought was going to make you think I'm awful. And you were like, let me help you fix it. That's so cool. And then I started doing that with other people in my life. I did it with my lawyer, a man who I've met once, who I've had good conversations with, but I was honest with him and he we had the nicest conversation. I got on the phone with his wife and now I feel like that guy's family to me. It's crazy how much I've learned that just telling people what's up with you most times gets them to be like, hey, I've been there. I can help you. It's okay. It yeah. doesn't always work at work, but I'm trying it. I'm trying to bring it in. I'm trying to just be honest and be like, now that you know, how can I help? 
yeah, here's exactly where I'm at. Because you're right, like, we all have a tendency to, like, very much silo ourselves off. And like you said, think that our problems are, like, very just uniquely ours and we're the only one dealing with this thing. And then you were like, my my parents, That when you said that with your about, like, talking to your mom, that was me with my parents. Like, I springboard so much stuff off of them because they're unbelievable smart. listeners. That's really smart and really awesome. And shout out to your parents. Yeah. That's so cool. And again, like, I, I say that as a total luxury to, like you said, like, have, like, have people, like, and I've, and and there's been times where I've been nervous and I'll tell them something and it's non-judgmental and they have such a good feel for that. And like, like you said, finding all of these places and realizing more people are capable of that. That's, that's impressive. And it's something that I probably need to do a better job of. So it's encouraging to hear. It's just, I think I've found like a passion for believing in the humanity of people. That sounds so dumb and philosophical, but in my head, it was like, that's the basic way to say it. I just approach situations now, not assuming because that sets you up to be taken advantage of, but sort of hoping for the for the person inside of them to recognize some of themselves in me and realize that we're all here to survive. We're all here to do whatever it is we're here to do, but like... I'm not here to attack you. I am not here to make you feel bad. I don't want to rob you of your agency. I just want you as a person to meet me as a person. And then we figure out where we're not connecting because both of us can find an answer to something there. It's exhausting, but it's also like invigorating. Weirdly, I've spent so much time replying to people on Twitter over the last few days. My experience with the website has changed dramatically. I just try to approach, I, I try to remove myself of defensiveness. Yep. I defend the parts of me I now know are me. The things I know that I believe, I'll defend. But I don't attack. And I don't defend things when someone's like, you sound like that joke was corny. I'm like, I know. Wasn't it awesome? Like, I, I loved it because of its corniness. Welcome to it. Enjoy it with me because it's so bad that it's funny. Let's just both laugh. Have a good day. And they're like, thanks. I will have a good day. And I'm like, okay, cool. What's for lunch? I just, I don't know. I feel like I've become a child in my head. I feel like I've started just approaching the world naively of just being like, I'm not going to assume this person's mad at me. I'm going to assume that they want me to like them just like I want them to like me. Assume it and then see where it goes. And then if it goes somewhere bad, block them and feel good about it. Yeah. Feel good about it because they're not entitled to your personhood if they won't show you theirs. That's just, I think, math. Look at people as instead of looking at everything as money and looking at money all the time, just consider the currency of like your personness. Like that's if I give it to you, you better give it back to me. And if you're not going to meet me there, then you're in debt and I'm blocking you. Well, and I think the interesting part of that is too, is what you said about the other side. Like it doesn't have to be a negative on the end. It's all right. I came into this interaction expecting something. And if it's, if it's not meeting me in the ways that I want, it's no judgment on you, but it's also recognizing like the value of your time in that. Yes. I, I had a friend of mine. So I went on, I went on a trip two years ago, Michelle Smallman, who used to work here at ESPN and works in uh, in St. Louis now for our affiliate or work uh, for our affiliate out there. Does a great podcast called Small Talk with Steve Cerruti, who used to work here. 
And I went on a trip with her and five girls that I had never met. We went to Columbia and I went down there because Smallman plans great trips. And while I was there, I met a friend of hers who had been down by herself backpacking through South America for six months. That's crazy. Her, just, up and, just up and left, like left her job and was like, I need to go and do this. And she went down there for six months by herself. And I, I, I was fascinated by her because the level of bravery it took to go and do that for someone who like, you know, like just. The bravery in, in any walk of life to go and pick up and do that thing by yourself to me was fascinating. And so I spent a lot of time talking to her and just asking her about stuff down there. And the one thing she said she kind of noticed and found out about herself was she goes, I started to really value my time. And if I was talking to someone and that conversation stopped being something that I valued, I, I just got myself out of it. You would meet people and it's like, all right, it's fine for this to just end. Like we yeah. don't need to prolong this because of some like feeling of decorum that we feel like we owe people and all this. She's like, no, I, I, we can just stop, go our separate ways and be fine. And like, I don't know that just hearing it said that plainly, like, yeah, you know, we met, we talked for a while. I was done with it and I left and we, I never saw that person again. I was like, wow, that's pretty freeing. Yeah. Cause well, for me, when I first heard that, when I've heard people say things like that, I'm like, I would, I'm projecting sadness onto it. I'm like, oh, someone's going to be sad or I'm going to be sad. And you don't realize that when you just do it, you're like, I'm, I'm not sad because I already knew that that was over and they probably already knew too. Now, if they didn't know there's sadness, but that's for them to then go, why am I sad? And then examine it and figure out if it's real or not. Because a lot of the stuff we feel is us projecting what we thought we were going to feel or what you're supposed to feel in that situation without going, what do I actually feel? Because sometimes you look at your sadness and you're like, I'm not sad. I'm actually just frustrated. I'm frustrated because I wanted to talk to that person. What about me made that conversation not something that we both wanted to have? Oh, I guess I was being kind of defensive in this way. Like it, it, whatever it is, examine, zoom in on what sucks and you'll find a way to make it not suck. That sounds like work. It feels good. It feels freeing. It's the concept of like forgiveness isn't for the other person. It's for you because it unburdens you from carrying the weight of something that isn't adding anything to your life. Like carry the lesson. Don't carry the frustration. Don't carry the anger. Carry the lesson. The anger is the step to the lesson. So if you're still mad, you haven't learned anything from it yet. And it has added no value to your life and is only dragging you down. And so much of that, I feel like, is just tied to, like, us, like, like our nature is to want to control everything, to feel yes. safe by being able to control everything. Yeah. And, like, it, this is the the super overblown cliche thing that everybody has learned during this time period when, as I've heard, like, ad nauseum on every program, like, we all got control yanked out and away from us during all this. Like, you lost control. No one could control a 100-year pandemic showing up. And so everyone kind of got a dose of that, like, all right, like, if I didn't already know it before, trying to control everything around me is a fool's errand. Yeah, everything's gonna happen. Everything that is going to happen has probably already happened somewhere. Nothing is as original as we all want to think. Like, this wild thing happened to me. It's like rare, but not uh, unheard of. It's just like somewhere someone knows exactly how you feel. And that kind of feels really comforting. Of like, there's somebody out there who's also wondering why they can't stop playing Call of Duty, a game that they don't even particularly like very much. 
That You're is not like, alone. That is like one of the the upsides of what, like you said, like ever. I, I think all of us, especially in this job, have had if we don't currently have had a complicated relationship with social media. But that is one of the things where it's like I can shout this thing that I'm not sure about into the ether sometimes, and I am met with other people who are experiencing that thing because of like the scale of the website. And there is a little part of that that's comforting. Yeah, I've I've sort of started to feel like you're only. This is going to sound backwards, but I think I'll get there. You're only supposed to say things. The only time you should feel really confident saying anything isn't when you're thinking it. It's when you know it. But the to- if you're honest about sharing something, if you're honest about where you are in the journey, if you're like, I think this or like, I'm not sure of this, and you say that and it's met with resistance from people, your first instinct should be like, of course, because I only think it. I don't know it. So now... Let me see if I can get closer to knowing it by figuring out what the you know consensus of the criticism of what I just said is. And then you're like, oh, well, the consensus is this. And sometimes people are wrong and being irrationally angry. But if you know yourself well enough, you know what parts of it not to worry about. And you know, like, well, they might be right about this part. What do I do about it? And then you're getting closer to knowing that you think that the thing you think is something that you know. Is that the dumbest thing I've ever said? No, I I actually think it makes an overwhelming amount of sense. And I think it's one of like, it's like one of the chief sources of anxiety for me in this job, because right, like, especially like I work in like sports talk radio. So you're supposed to know and everything is supposed to be a definitive opinion. And what you just described is I think what, uh, what Dan and Lebitard and that show did so well. And I always remember like they used to give Dan for it, but he always would say, I'm just asking the question Dan would phrase and something that he didn't know. And he would say it as a question and there would be a discussion and there would be passion behind it at times, but it leaves you room to say, all right, I can then take input back, reconsider and build off that problem is, is that people in bad faith have started asking questions and used the defense. I'm just asking the question. And so it's like, when you say, do I want to listen to this because do I want to hang out with these people? I think what it is, is you're asking yourself, do I believe this person is asking the questions they're asking in good faith? Do I agree? I don't know if I'm going to agree with this person on everything, but if I can believe that they're doing it because they genuinely want to know the answer and they genuinely have thought about it and they think there's value in the answer being in the universe, then I, it's like you trust them. You're like, I want to know, I want to know what questions he's going to ask because I want to know what questions I should be asking. It's all of this. But then you get the people who are like, why isn't there a white entertainment network? Isn't that racism? I'm just asking the question. And you're like, you're, first of all, you're asking the wrong question. But second of all, you're just proving where you are in your knowledge of the entirety of a situation. You're way too zoomed in and you got to zoom out. And like those there, you can identify when people are doing that for money on a very big platform and they're encouraging people to stay where they are in their journey. And that frustrates me. I hate the word journey. I wish there was a path. I don't know. They all sound really corny, but it's like your life is, You're not supposed to stay in one place the whole time. And you can take that any way you want to, whether it's like moving or in your brain, the way where you think on things, like your progression through thought, like the cause and effect of life, whatever it is, you're not supposed to just find the place you like and stay there. You're supposed to find the place you like and live there. But then you're supposed to listen to what's happening and then figure out 
the next thing. And so when people make a lot of money off of telling people like, you got there, you're there, move in, hang your stuff up. We're going to stay here for a while. It's like, that's you're, you're, it's to their detriment. You're holding people back from going through their lives. And that makes me so angry because it's like, if those people just asked their questions and admitted that they weren't at the, at the end, that they're asking the question, but they're willing to move to the next step. If the answer to the question is no, then it's like, ask the question, but that's not why they're doing it. Because when the answer is no, they're like, no, I think it's yes. And it's like, then you weren't asking the question. Were you, you were hoping that everybody would say the answer that you wanted to hear. I've been talking in this interview with you more than I'm supposed to. You're supposed to talk. No, I know, but I like, I don't know. I like this. Like this was, this was in my mind, like getting to catch up with a friend. And so I am enjoying hearing all of the things that you've learned because like we've like, we've both been like in quarantine, but it's been a really different experience for both of us in a lot of ways. And again, like I trust your brain on a lot of this stuff. Like you mentioned, like you're like, you think, and you like make goals and feelings and your brain is the thing that's one of your strengths. Like I always recognize that. Like, again, like I, I, I enjoy being around people that are better at a lot of things than I am. And that's why I'm friends with like you and Mina and Dan Orlovsky and all these people that like have all these gifts. And so hearing from you is like half the reason I came here. Like you've, you've got a lot to offer. And like that, like you mentioned, like the reason like people also trust that too, is because like over the course of like long form, the stuff that we all do, you'll get found out if you're not doing this in good faith. And like the fact that you and Ashley were sitting around doing three hour podcasts, like if you guys (laughs) were faking it or doing it in bad faith, we'd have found out in minute 45, right? I started every podcast by saying like, this one's only going to be half an hour. (laughs) I swear we're in and out today, guys. And then three hours. And I was like, golly, this is not working. I'm not doing it right. But, you know, you can beat yourself up about it or you can be like, well, that's probably a reason. Probably wouldn't have reached a point unless we had done it. And I wouldn't have I don't think my brain would be where I'm at right now in this literal moment if I hadn't had this conversation with you. I realize I've been selfish and I've used you as therapy. And so let me say, tell me something that in quarantine you've just been fascinated by, whether it's a story or like a huge life question or like a movie. Um. All right. You know what? I can give you one that leads into the other and like it happened this is complete recency bias like the thing that was with me all of quarantine is the thing that sits me all the time is like like this weird fear and fascination with death that i've always been terrified by and is like a source of a ton of anxiety for me but like way too existential and weird i watched ted lasso i told you about that before I, i i can't remember the last time a show genuinely made me feel like i wanted to and could be better it was all the things that you just said it's like i can approach situations the way that happened on that show like what a wonderful light in this time where we're all like a little unsure and the political atmosphere is so hot right now and everyone's got their sharp sharpened. It's like, or like, and I, again, like nothing's as simple as it is in a, in a show. I recognize that, but it, it's the same tenets of everything we just talked about here. It's like, all right, I can really choose my approach on that. And like lately for me too, it's like, I can also really choose to focus on just being able to do that now. Like I, I wake up and I always like, I feel corny saying it myself because it's the Oregon Ducks model, but they always say win the day. But I'm always like, all right, like all I can do is try and win this. Like mm-hmm. I get, I, I get so like, and, and you know, over the course of this, cause like all my, all my good friends from college and like all my close friends are married, like multiple kids deep and all that. And so I felt, you know, not married enough. And I felt not a parent enough during the course of this time. And I've wondered like, 
you know, I, I've started to feel the weight of a lot of the decisions that I've made leading up to this point and recognizing that not all of them have been good decisions and that I'm the only person that controlled all of that and kind of having that realization of, all right, like I am not in certain aspects of my life in the places I want to be. And I am the only person that has created that. And I, I'm sure that's not even correct. Like there are things that absolutely can come from the outside that we're not ready for. But at the end of the day, like we all yearn for that control. And that's one area where it's like, all right, you recognize the decisions that led to this point. And so I get up and this, a lot of it tends to be for me and like my personal life relationships, gearing and going towards, you know, I, I, I think I do want a family at some point. At the very least, I want someone who like cares about me and I care about them in a way that will tolerate each other, tolerate each other day after day and like get to do all of the fun things that I've watched, you know, my parents do and my brother and his wife do and my sister and her fiance do like seeing all of those examples and seeing them be so happy. First off, like what more is like a brother could you ask for, especially one who has a younger sister? Like the only thing you want is for them to be safe and to be happy. And so to get that like was such a tremendous gift. And that was during quarantine with my sister. But then for the rest of it, it's all right. Like I, I now have time to look back and recognize this is the stuff that got you here. Mm -hmm. What can you do going forward? That's outside of your comfort zone. That's the thing that you haven't been used to that maybe points you in a different direction towards the thing that you've recognized you wanted. So that's, that's, that's been a lot of it for me because I've had to like watch all of these families and my friends to grow from afar, which is like the worst, like my favorite thing about being, you know, like you said, unencumbered, but in a different way where I don't have the responsibilities right now of a family is I can be there for all those moments. You know, I can be there, you know, for my, you know, my goddaughter's baptism. I can be there at, you know, my buddy's birth of his first son and all that stuff. I can be around to, to help and to, to get to love the people that have taken care of me so well and not getting to do all that, I think has kind of put the focus back on that for me in a different way. Yeah, I totally get that because like you can get your sense of family anyway, you know, you can get that anyway when you can interact with any family, any part of your, any nuclear family, you can go to your sister's house and be a part of her family and feel that. But when that's taken away, it's very like, so wait, who's, where's my family? And it's like, it, that's very stressful, but it's also like, they're, they're there. They are here and yep. they are your family. And maybe someday they won't be here because that's how it all happens. But the thing when you said fear of death, the thing that my brain just was like, but it can't be it. I don't know what this means. I don't know what religion this is. I just know that like, if the only truth of the world we know is that every end is a beginning, then it can't be as scary as it's. I don't mean that to sound encouraging of death. I'm not. But in the terms of accepting, the thing you can accept is that you a can't change it. It's going to happen. It's an inevitability. But at the same time, like, it's an end, it's a bad, but but there is always a start and a good. And I don't know what that is, and I have no idea, and I'll probably try to read to find out if anybody can answer it. But it just, like, you've got this. You've had ends, and you've had beginnings. So you don't have to fear some end that's coming, because there's going to be, like, 50 ends before that. So it's just, like, everything is a cycle, and you just got to try to stay on top of the wave instead of getting caught up in it, because it's it's scary. But you've got it. Like, Everybody listening, you've got it. You've got it. You're a human. You woke up today. You're alive. You're not going to do everything right, but you're going to do stuff right or wrong. And it's cool, but don't stop like thinking about how you can grow in all the ways you can grow. 
in your head, uh, in your career, anything. It's like we focus so much on growth in our career. It's like grow as a person and then you'll know where to go in your career. If you're wondering what's next, it's like, well, what's what's happening right now? What's going on in here right now? That'll well, let you know what's next. You don't have to be like, well, I don't know. I can't, there's six different options. Which one's the best? It's like nobody knows. But well, you have the best idea. And that's the thing that always frustrates me sometimes about myself is like, I'll say those things and I know that they're true. And then I don't don't hear them. You don't. And then you you don't act like, again, like what you just talked about is like, I saw for years, like, and I, I I said this on the last day of uh, Golik and Wingo, when I just barfed tears all over a microphone, you know, with my family all sitting there was, I, I got to watch for years my dad always have a very clear line of, all right, when we got to high school, me and my brother were playing high school football games in the weekend. My dad said, I'm not going to miss this. So he had been calling college football games and he's like, I don't do this anymore. And part of that was, all right, the radio shows well enough to where he can do that. And he had the, the you know, the good fortune to be able to make that choice. But part of it was also a decision to say, all right, I, I know the things that I'm not going to miss. I know the things that are still at the center of all this, like you said, where it feels like grow, grow, grow career. And it's like, no, like, I've got these other parts of me that I need to make sure feel how important they are. And so I, I, again, I've I've seen that lesson for so long, but just kind of reminding myself to live it is also a very different thing. Yeah. Thinking through how they arrived at the thing that they say to you is the value because the thing they say to you, if you just hear it, it's going to mean something. It's going to make sense to you, but it's not, you're not going to have arrived at it. You're going to have just like, woken up there and it's hard to you know a fish doesn't know it's in water so it's like you have to enter it to know like oh i'm i get it now instead of being like oh well he said it to me so i know it it's like no you just drove past a building go inside of it figure out how that building was built and then you'll know it i asked you what you were fascinated by you said ted lasso and yet we still are back here in the depths (laughs) of my brain trying to figure out what philosophy is instead of shutting up and reading it. I have no idea what I'm doing, but I just know that I enjoy doing it with you. I know, but I I think that's why I was so excited to come on here because I kind of figured this is how it's going to go because anytime I've consumed anything that you've made, it's like, all right, like this ends up just becoming a couple of friends kind of getting the chance to sit and talk. And quite frankly, like this is also stuff that like, I am going to finish this podcast whenever it happens. And I'm going to like, I always get post pod anxiety because I don't work in pods that much. And it, but like, it's such an inviting space to share and like to get to, and like, there's also not a lot of people, quite frankly, that like I could talk about this stuff with, and that would have so much to offer in the way that you have in this conversation. And so like, getting the chance to do that is like cathartic for me. Like hearing all of this is like, all right, like I've got some things that I can take away and go with it. And that's why, like, obviously like that's why people love the what you and Ashley built there in that iteration of this podcast. And I'm sure that's why they'll love whatever this becomes. Cause like you said, you can do whatever you want now. And, And like, it's been very valuable to me already just in sitting on here, because again, there aren't a lot of opportunities to do this. And I really appreciate that you are willing to do it because I realize like, I come up with this idea of like, I'm going to have a really deep conversation with Michael Jr. And then I'm like, but Katie, not everybody wants to have a deep conversation publicly because of the thing you said, post-pod anxiety, when it goes out and you're like, did I say something so dumb? Did I forget to check myself on something? But it's like, I, I the goal here is like, we're, we're just asking questions, people. We're just asking the question. Okay. So like, don't try to cancel. It's like, 
knowing that if the if you get pushback, what I've tried to welcome it in. I've tried to be like, it, are you is this person correct? And if they are, guess what? You win because you get to not be that again. You get to learn that lesson. So like, I appreciate this so much. If something happened and I messed up and led you down a bad path, I will have your back when anything happens. It's like, just, we got to all just be honest with each other and let, let everybody know what, you know, we're thinking and what we think we know. Well, and like, and like you said, like maybe, maybe someone hears this, like I, again, me just hearing you, I'm like, oh, like I hadn't thought about that. That's something to think about. Like if that happens for one person because of this, then like, what a cool thing that happened there. And if this sounds like blah, 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 like that probably means you're in a place where you don't need to hear it. So that's, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but we do two a week now. So there will be something that you like in the other pod maybe, but if this can help you, if you let it help you, then that's is so cool to me. If anybody's like, man, I feel so much better. Then I'm like, that's awesome because I want to feel better. And I actually feel better if other people feel better. Like the anxiety of the way people interact with each other now was weighing on me. It was like, everyone's yelling at each other. And then you're like, well, you shouldn't be nice to people who believe in really awful things. And then it's like, yes, because that's, that's your line. Find where your line is and, and, but commit yourself right up until that line. And when that line gets crossed, Value your time like that woman in Colombia. Value your time. But up until that line, you don't get to be like, I'm getting close to the line. It's like, no, get to your line and then shut your doors. But know where your line is. It's going to be different for everybody because everyone has a different lived experience. But if it doesn't actually exhaust you to try to bring someone closer, if you have the energy, pull them then. Because if they come along, then we have more people. And that's the point. That is get, get as many people around as possible. And like all of that stuff is awesome. But then like, also I just kind of had the wave and and this kind of happened too, because yesterday I just out of nowhere, I got a call from Dominique and I hadn't talked to Dominique in a while. And he's like, Hey, we haven't talked in a while and I don't like that. So I'm fixing it now. And it was that simple. And that's kind of what this is like here. And so if, if no one likes anything we said, like that's fine. I got to talk to my friend for a little while. I'm like, those instances are hard to come by, right? Like it probably should have been a phone call, but I've had a lot of meetings that should have been an email. So I won't apologize for the fact that a phone call that we should have had ended up being a podcast. And hopefully somebody out there found something in here that made themselves feel a little bit better because I knew I, I knew it was in you. And I knew that you could help somebody somewhere. And I knew that our somewheres were different because you're a guy who works out and I don't. So I knew that our differences meant you had something to offer that I can't do on this podcast without you. So thank you for talking to me for an hour. I am sorry. Um, what else you got to do today? What? Where can people find you? Talk about you. Well, uh, modest leader, people can find me. Um Four to seven Eastern on ESPN radio. I get to do a show with Chinea Agumake, who is an absolute rock star, who is somehow both preparing to be a current WNBA player and a radio host and goes on a million TV shows around here and is is seemingly doing so many things at the same time. So I get to do that for three hours a day, which is a blast. And like after having taken a week off, it's been so much like again, like realizing like how much fun we get the chance to have there. So you can come check that out. You can download the podcast wherever you get those. Um, I also do a bunch of digital things around college football. I think me and Jason Fitz are going to host a live stream for that before the national championship game on Monday. But uh, 
And then you can go to the, the Twitter at Michael Jr. It's fine there too. My Instagram's the same handle, but it's mostly just like pug pictures or me covered in Cheez-Its. Well, I mean, all content is good content. Can I ask you one question? Did you guys consider naming the radio show Mike and Agwumake? Because like Mike and Mike, because it ends with M-I-K-E. I just think that maybe it should have been considered. Uh, listen, I, I wanted to do one and done because she was the number one overall pick in the draft and I no longer play sports. Mm. But yours That's is very funny. good too. And it's the way that I most like easily compartmentalized and learned how to spell Chanae's last name very easily because I knew Mike. it was Ogu Mike. Yeah. So you just name it Mike and Ogu Mike. I just, I'm not saying I don't love what you're doing. I'm just saying you could have done it better. So. Listen, we're here for constructive criticism. We're and here to grow. We're here to grow. Uh, you're the best. Thank you so much for doing this. I hope nothing but amazing things for you. And maybe I'll just call you next time. We can do that too. We could do another pod. We could do whatever you want. Thanks for having me, Katie. It was nice to talk to you again. All right. That's it. We can end it on that. I'll do the ads when you leave. Uh, was that wildly uncomfortable for you? No, that was awesome. It was very, okay. it was very right. relaxed and nice. Good. That's the goal. I don't know. I live a lot in my brain. I'm just like, I need to talk to somebody who also is is a person that I like. Yeah, no. <sighs> like I said, it's it's a lot of those thoughts that I can't like just go and spit at somebody else. So thank you for being a person that kind of understands what it's like to live in here a lot. Yeah. I mean, God, it's the only thing I understand. Uh, good luck with your show. Have fun. You're the best. Thanks, friend. All right, that's it for this week's edition. Nope, this week's second edition of sports. Uh, shout out to Hello Tushy and Trustin Will. And shout out to ESPN Daily, a podcast that's hosted by our friend Pablo Torre, who will probably be on this podcast soon if he has time because he does a lot. Uh, wake up to the best sports story you'll, you'll hear all day, Monday through Friday. Uh, host Pablo Torre brings you an inside look. You know this at the most interesting stories at ESPN as told by the top reporters and insiders on the planet and also Pablo's brain, which is a very valuable resource. Uh, it's the breaking news of SportsCenter plus the deep dive storytelling of 30 for 30. Get the very best of ESPN daily. That's a really good tagline. I wonder if Pablo came up with it. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Also, big thanks to you guys for listening. Like I said, I just want to make sure that everybody knows. That I understand that conversation might have been about nothing. But I also understand that, like, for somebody it might be about something. And so talking to him about what we talked about, which I couldn't even tell you, um, is like, you know, I hope it was helpful. If it was super boring, you can also let me know that because this might, again, be phone calls that I'm having over a podcast. But hopefully it gives you something and that's all you can ever expect from a piece of content, right? Um, so thank you so much for listening. You can listen as many times as you want. Share it with somebody that you think might like it. Or, you know, if you've had, if this sounds like a conversation you've had with one of your friends recently, share it. Not for my sake, for your sake and their sake. I've started doing that when I find stuff I like. And it reminds me of a conversation I had with a person. I send them the thing because it's like, hey, we kind of talked about this once and maybe it can help. I don't know. Do whatever you want. I love you so much. Um, also, you can leave us a voicemail if you want to. I've really lost the love for this part of the podcast because I miss Ashley so much. But you can leave us a voicemail at 860-506-5571. I think that covers everything. Um Trav is here. He just was being quiet. Trav, do you want to say goodbye to everybody? Goodbye, Katie. Okay. Goodbye, Trav. And goodbye to all of you. Love you. Mean it.